1: Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 55, we discuss what the elements are for a perfect soccer telecast, exciting news for Arsenal and Chelsea fans, our opinions about the festive fixtures on NBC Sports, as well as the latest soccer TV news. Plus, we have a ton of letters from you listeners in our mailbag section to our last podcast talking about promotion relegation. So welcome to our first episode of 2018. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, uh, how's uh, 2018 been uh, so far for you?
0: So far, so good. Just a few days. I've come down with a bit of a cold, but I think it's what's going around in the season.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and us here in Florida, we're, we're uh, suffering from the cold weather. This is extremely uh, uncommon temperatures. So this morning it was in the upper 30s, uh, which is very, very rare for us down here. So we're, we're getting a little bit of the, the medicine that the rest of, uh, most of the rest of America uh, gets all the time. But uh, it's taken some adjusting. So so this this podcast is now entering, Karthik, its 11th year of being in existence. It's gone through many different forms uh, over the years. For those who haven't had a chance to listen to us um, before, uh, the latest incarnation of this podcast focuses on watching soccer on television, online, and apps, talking about the commentators, talking about the production, the analysis, uh, where to find matches, as well as all of the latest uh, streaming news as... um, more and more streaming companies and options come online, it becomes pretty complicated. So we're trying to answer those questions, give you the news, and then also talk about uh, what we've been watching. So we'll kick off there, what we've been watching. And Kartik, uh, just for a change, I'll start off here um, in terms of uh, some of the things I've been watching, and I'll have you jump in. But... We've survived. Uh, f- for me, the most enjoyable time of the year um, watching soccer um, is over the festive period. And it's a hard slog for fans watching the games on television. Uh, it's a lot of work. I enjoy it, of course, but uh, it's intense. And it goes from about December 22nd all the way through till today, January 4th. And it kicked off Kartik. Um, We haven't had a chance to talk about any of this stuff, so I I, I don't know what you saw and what you didn't see, but it kicked off with that Arsenal-Liverpool match on December 22nd, that 3-3 draw, but um, not a good advertisement for uh, defences, but what a match.
0: Yeah, I suppose what a match in terms of uh, of, uh, the scoring and the chances, but again, I I thought it was a terrible advertisement for the level of the Premier League. I think so often i found this mentality, this kind of herd mentality among Premier League fans based in the United States, where any sort of critique of the league is met with the sort of defenses you get from SEC football fans and college football. It's a very similar mentality. So after this game, I pointed out that i felt like uh for two teams that aspire to be in the top four two teams that are regularly in european competition two of the bigger clubs on the continent or in the the european game obviously they're in great britain so they're not on on the continent physically uh that this was a really poor standard of, of football from a defensive standpoint and then you know that that's meant always by some some shots at the bundesliga some shots at la liga and um the classic defense mechanisms. Yeah, I would say it was an entertaining match, but just pointed out, um, and as, um, the ESPN FC crew pointed out later that day on, uh, in breaking down this game, it's the kind of basic defensive errors that you shouldn't see at this level. It's not that, Oh my goodness, it was a fantastic attacking move. That's why you saw the mistakes you saw. So, um, for me, a disappointing start to the festive period. And also, uh, I think uh, another indication that Liverpool is missing a little something because there are every match they play with one or two exceptions this season, they've been well on top and their chance creation has been far greater than the opposition, whether they're playing against uh, Arsenal or Chelsea or whether they're playing against West Brom or Swansea. It seems regularly they are creating more chances than their opposition and in too many matches, they're not coming away with three points.
1: Yeah, for for me, I, I go the other the other extreme, which is um, I love the game. It was an entertaining match, fantastic football, uh, but it's one of those things because if you have the, kind of a really pure style of football, that I mean, defensively sounds uh, very strong in the back, what you end up with is kind of the Serie A of old, where it might be. A, a one nil victory for in a game that's very defensively, very, uh, very sound, but in some ways very boring. So I guess it's those imperfections in the premier league that makes, that does make it exciting. Um, and that culminated yesterday, Kartik in that, uh, another entertaining match for me, at least the two, two draw between Arsenal and Chelsea and another kind of end to end thrilling match. Just really exciting to watch, uh, again, defensive mistakes, but, um, I mean that's that's the thing about the Premier League, especially this time of the season. you get some games that are really really kind of scrappy, a lot of scrappy games, and then you have a, a lot of other ones that are kind of high scoring uh, games and as've as we know from previous you know, boxing days and uh, New Year's Day, New Year's Day matches in the Premier League, there, there are usually lots of goals happening and some really crazy score lines. We didn't get many crazy score lines, but we did get uh, to me at least a lot of entertaining matches.
0: Yeah, you know, for me, one thing that was uh, disappointing about this whole period was that there has been, in the era of more and more emphasis on exclusive windows for, for, for matches on television, a de-emphasis of the importance of Boxing Day matches. Right, so essentially you're seeing the best the best matches that you would want to watch on what is always built or traditionally has been the height of the football calendar in uh, English football, is, uh, in particular, pulled to December 27th, pulled to December 22nd, pulled to January 3rd, uh, which was uh, Chelsea Arsenal. And the actual Boxing Day fixtures this year were probably the worst I could remember in terms of just uh, compelling storylines and matches you want to watch. Yet they were sandwiched during the course of the week, by matches you wanted to watch that were pulled into exclusive windows when nothing else was going on, no other matches were taking place.
1: That's a good point. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, because like actually, it's been it has been drawn out, and of course today, uh, by the time most of the listeners uh, hear this podcast, the Spurs West Ham game will be over. But uh, it, it is really stretched out. But to me, it's entertaining. It's almost almost every single day. There's there's a match on. Um, I mean, some are better than others, but uh, there's always something inter- interesting to watch. And, and speaking of Serie A, I mean, Serie A this year has decided not to go with the winter break. Um, but uh, I don't hear a lot of people talking about Serie A matches, even though they've been p- being played over this uh, festive period. Also,
0: yeah, I think it was a little bit of a, a strange adjustment for fans of Italian football. Uh, the Copa, Italia, two of the uh, quarterfinal games took or, or two of the quarterfinal games took place. December 27th, and then two of them took place yesterday, January 3rd. It was uh, odd because they – they forced this uh, this extra round of fixtures into the calendar and I think it was something that people weren't prepared for. That having been said, um, Serie A is the one big European league with a real title race uh, mm-hmm. ongoing and it has uh, prompted me to check check out the games. Uh, if I don't watch Juventus, it's one thing because Juventus is still very, um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with watching Juve, but Napoli is one of the best teams to watch in Europe and uh, a lot of us are tired of the same teams winning titles over and over again in these continental leagues. So um, I'm very much uh, for the next four months, probably a Napoli supporter.
1: Yeah, and that's something we we've talked about or teased. We should probably visit uh, visit it at some point, Kartik, in the future in terms of talking about Serie R and just focusing on that in terms of um, television and and how it's kind of uh, the rise and fall of Serie R on television in the United States. But that's the thing. I mean, with being sports over this Christmas period. Uh, in Sports is playing the Serie A matches and the Copa Italia. Actually, Copa Italia is on Gold TV, but the Serie A matches have been on in Sports and BN Sports and Espanol. But there's been very little promotion or coverage of it. Um, and it seems to be just kind of lost. On this that is end. the
0: problem with in when La Liga and PSG are off, they're off. Uh, it
1: seems that way, but yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 that might be taken as a very people might be sensitive about that critique, but I feel like uh, the emphasis on Serie A isn't there. I would like Serie A to find a better uh, television partner in the United States because I think it's always going to be third fiddle. So La Liga, for obvious reasons, should be number one on that network. Okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna dispute that, and, and it's, uh, it's arguably the best league in the world and it's not the two most visible football clubs in the world, but. Um, I think because of the relationship between B in Sports and PSG and via Cutter, there is a emphasis on Liga 1 that uh, probably should be placed on Serie A instead if, if editorial were completely independent. And I'd love to hear from B in sport about this. But um, they have not covered Serie A to, to my satisfaction for a number of years if I'm going to be quite frank about it. Yeah. I'm far more interested in what goes on in Serie A than I am in what goes on in Liga. Uh, just because I think it's a higher-level league, it's a more compelling league. Uh, from my perspective, and I think from the perspective probably of more people in this country uh, than, than the uh, contrary view, which is in favor of Liga. Yeah, it's just challenging
1: to try to fit everything in. I mean, I, I do get to watch a, a Serie A match now and again. But uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll save that one for another episode. I think that'll be a good topic we can dive into. So we're not going to go through every single match we watched over this uh, festive period. I mean, it's a long list. Um, I took a vacation for a week and was able to watch some of the games uh, on a cruise, but still watched a ton of football. But two things that popped out at me, Karthik, um, were this is football, and this was the, uh, the 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 series, or documentary series. Uh, the first episode that was released, uh, hosted by Joe Scarborough, and the first episode was focused on the Manchester Derby. And I I thought I found this program really interesting, Karty. For anyone who missed it, uh, definitely go back. It's probably on the NBC Sports app. You can probably uh, watch it on demand. But this was a really I was going to say a deep dive it wasn't a completely a deep dive but it was a look at uh, the culture around football and in this case around Manchester as far as everything from the music uh, to what it's like living in Manchester and how it's uh, multiracial and how you have these two clubs I mean, one on the outskirts of Manchester and one um, inside Manchester and just kind of the history and the passion and interviews with, with some of the former players uh, what did you think of this one, Karthik? I, I, I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed This Is Football uh, and thought Joe Scarborough did a wonderful job and give him a lot of credit because he's a, he's a high-level guy. If you follow American politics, he's a guy that um, I didn't expect to get down in the weeds and do the kind of... Um, The kind of work he did, just the general work to to go in and solicit these interviews, go to training, interview youth coaches, interview uh, bar owners, that sort of thing. Uh, We've seen Roger Bennett do these things with NBC. My criticism of Roger Bennett would be that he's uh, created such a um, character image of himself as a comedian that when he tries to be serious, you don't take him as seriously. So I I think these sorts of programs Scarborough is, is a better host for. Um, the uh, the thing that I, I want to impress on a lot of people listening is that there is a Derby aspect. There is a rivalry between Manchester United and Manchester City. There's no question about that. But uh, as you heard the bar owner, who's a United supporter, say towards the end of the show, he hates City, he hates Liverpool, but he hates Leeds more. And um, there has been... In the history, there was some discussion in the 1980s on the the program. In the history of football hooliganism, Chris, you would see Cardiff supporters fight lead supporters. You'd see uh, West Ham fight Chelsea, Tottenham fight Arsenal, Tottenham fight West Ham. You have never seen Liverpool and Everton fans, or, or very rarely, Liverpool and Everton fans or Manchester United and Manchester City fans turn on one another. There is a sense of purpose and grit and respect within the city, even the two football clubs and their supporters hate each other to where they wouldn't turn to that sort of um, behavior toward one another. And and, and uh, uh, even though Scarborough didn't mention that directly the whole uh, one hour, was actually more like 50 minutes, uh, the program, uh, just reminded me of that, that there is, a, there is a common spirit and a common bond among Mancunians, even though they're divided between red and blue in terms of their football. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by this uh, this show. I, it, it actually made me feel proud to be a soccer fan. It, it embraced the passion and culture of what it's like to be a fan of the sport and uh, didn't do it in a condescending way uh, and it just made me feel good. It just made, made me feel part of this whole experience. And I I, I have a feeling that, that that's kind of what the, one of the intentions was uh, in terms of like loyalty, just trying to encourage, I mean, all of us are soccer fans of all different clubs. I mean, some of us, like myself included, have nothing to do with Manchester. Uh, you do, Karthik, of course, have been a City supporter, but... It just meant it made me feel good. It made me feel proud of being a soccer fan, but also enlightened me in terms of some of uh, the things that we're talking about. I just thought it was really, really well done. The only negative kartik to me is that oftentimes with NBC Sports, with kind of when they have a series, is I don't know when to expect the next episode. I know that it's going to be a few more coming out, but there's not that consistency. And I'm sure yeah, yeah. all of us who watch the Premier League on NBC Sports, um, once it comes up, then there'll be some promos and stuff like that so we'll find out but it's always one of those things that I just don't know when to expect it So, uh, and, and that's from myself being I mean, being a reporter and getting press releases and emails from NBC Sports whenever things are coming up
0: They, they even played by the way during this festive period uh, they, the Noisy Neighbors Premier League download was re-aired which I didn't expect or didn't know it was going to be. I happened to stumble upon it on the program guide and DVR'd it. But that's a, uh, that's a, uh, a Premier League download from a year ago uh, that they decided to re-air. But no notification, had no idea that that was coming on.
1: And then, so the other thing I watched this, uh, which was on the same day, actually, I think it was on Boxing Day or around about then, was the documentary called The Lane. And this was one that was uh, produced by Tottenham Hotspur uh, but NBC Sports uh, showed the entire uh, documentary. Going into it, Karthik, I, my expectations was that this is going to be a Tottenham Hotspur puff piece and a very kind of uh, yeah, rah rah Tottenham Hotspur, and very very kind of uh, not much into the history and just focusing on just the uh, the changeover from the old White Hart Lane and and moving over everything over to and building the new White Hart Lane what we got was something I didn't expect. It was a very well-produced documentary that uh, wasn't rah-rah. It was really a combination, almost a history of Tottenham Hotspur, a lot of archival footage, a lot of excellent interviews with former players um, and former coaches and staff, uh, even some of the the fans and some of the people inside uh, Tottenham Hotspur. And it was really, to me, more of a yeah, a documentary of the history of, of Spurs, including interviews with uh, Jürgen Klinsmann, uh, Jermaine Defoe, Glenn Hoddle, Harry Kane, Ledley King. I mean, you go down the list, uh, Ricky Villa, Ozzy Ardiles. Uh It was really, really, it, it pulled me in. And, and, and again, I'm not a, top, I'm a Hotspur fan
0: by any means, but I really enjoyed this one, too. Oh, yeah. It was so well done. And it was so, I think, humble in its – it it served as a bit of an official history of the club, or at least the official history of the club at home, at at White Hart Lane. Uh, But it also, um, I think, showed Tottenham Hotspur warts and all, and – was really thrilled to see Jimmy Greaves, uh, two things that uh, Jimmy Greaves uh, being wheeled back out there. And it's, it's a shame to see the kind of health he's in, but one of just the great players, magical players in the history of English football. And obviously uh, maybe at the very top of the list of, of hotster footballers. Um, great to see Ossie Ardelius and, and, and Ricky Villa um, talk about their exploits, even though as a Man City fan, I've heard obviously the other side of the 1981 FA Cup final replay where Rick He has scored that magical goal, one of the most magical goals in the history of Tottenham Hotspur, but a goal that a lot of Manchester City supporters um, blame for the club's Uh, Decline over the next 20 years, Mm -hmm. which uh, directly uh, emanated from that FA Cup final replay. Uh, And then uh, I thought the most touching part was the Fab Muamba part. Uh, We all remember that game very well. Uh, Some of us, I think, Chris, you you included myself, for for sure, were watching that game live um, on television here in the States when uh, Fabrice Mwamba's heart gave out. Uh, on the white Hart lane pitch. And it was, uh, I thought it was so appropriate and, uh, really surprising. that Sp- uh, an official Spurs documentary devoted so much time to that moment, uh, and to, um, what everybody felt that day. That was, uh, that was tremendous.
1: Yeah. It was really emotional. It really pulled you back into that moment, uh, when actually the build-up to the incident, uh, but also uh, interviews with some of the uh, the fans that were in the stadium, and uh, and then having uh, Fabrice Moamba talking about uh, what happened and kind of what happened afterwards. Man, wow. I mean, that's that's a moment that uh, I think anyone that watched that game will, will never forget it. And uh, such a heartwarming and inspirational story. And, and, and that was just just one example in this documentary. Again, I'm sure it's available on NBC Sports app uh, on the um on, on, on demand. But uh, if you missed it, watch it because it was um, absolutely incredible. So a couple of things more, Kartik. in terms of what I've been watching this uh, past like, well, past month, really. Um, I, I did mention I went went, went went away on vacation for a week and went on a, on a cruise in the Caribbean, uh, which was great, lovely. But what's, what happens oftentimes is on these cruises, they have a, a channel, a network called Sport24. And the only reason I mention it is because um, most of the programming they have available is almost everything from Premier League productions. So whenever, this is my best opportunity uh, every every couple of years or so when I go on a cruise to see what Premier League productions are doing. A lot of the programming that we don't see. So we see some of it through NBC Sports Gold, like the, the fantasy Premier League show and Premier League news. Um, but that's probably maybe about 10% of, of what they produce. But Kartik, and again, we haven't had a chance to talk about this, but Kartik, but I was just like blown away by the level of tactical analysis. And you had Owen Hargreaves, you had Phil Neville, uh, you had, had, um, I'm trying to think who else was on there. But you had some really, really excellent tactical minds just pulling apart games. So one of the games I watched was Everton Swansea. Um, and this one, actually, they went back and looked at looked at Manchester City from that that, for that weekend, and were just looking play by play, just all the different things that Man City was doing, and just just uh, lauding. I mean, just how how fantastic this team is to watch, but doing it in such a way with the tactical analysis on their on the on the TV screens that were just was just mind blowing. It's really top level stuff. And hopefully, NBC Sports will find a way to bring in some of this programming in the future. Maybe if they continue NBC Sports Gold next season or if they have ways... I mean, they can use this content if they want to. But um, I was just amazed, and especially Owen Hargreaves, uh, just doing an excellent job, and, and Phil Neville too. Now, um, a couple of other things. The, the Everton Man United match, uh, they had the pitch side Studio for uh, with Arlo and Lee Dixon there. But uh, I'm not sure if you caught this, but the post-match interviews they they did were with Paul Pogba, which was huge, really enlightening too. I think one of the questions that uh, came from Robbie Musto uh, from the studio was to ask Pogba, uh, in terms of his preferred position, does he prefer to play uh, closer to the strikers as more of an attacking midfielder, or does he prefer to kind of drop back and, and help out as more of a defensive midfielder? That was enlightening. Then you had an interview with uh, Sam Allardyce, which is always uh, entertaining. Uh, Jordan Pickford was there too with, with an interview with the goalkeeper. But uh, again, just a stellar job from NBC Sports. Um, just from Not just this match, but the entire festive period. But yeah, just another example of uh, how the, they're leading the line in terms of uh, soccer coverage in the
0: United States. Yeah, I want to single out Arlo White during this festive period. I thought he was really on... Uh on point and really good, uh, he did a number of games. We know uh, obviously because uh, of uh, the lack of availability. It appears of, of Steve Bauer because any any time I watch. Uh, it's something that uh, uh, something soccer related Steve Bauer pops up on my screen right he's working so many different places he's not available uh, for NBC Sports uh, on site at a lot of these matches anymore and then you've got uh, obviously uh, Derek Ray uh, who is now filling the old Steve Bauer role in a way but is based in the United States right it's not based in uh, in, in the UK so they fly him over occasionally for games but uh, generally is based in the United States uh, I think Arlo White brought a consistent level to, uh, if I count correctly, he did five or six matches during the festive period, and I think he was very, very on point and very well prepared. There was no no off day for him, so uh, I want to single him out because I I know he's coming for a lot of criticism uh, from fans and even on the show from us, but uh, he was very good this uh, two-week period. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I I mean, for me, mostly, I mean, this entire month, I've been watching mostly Premier League football, which is just a good example of how NBC Sports gives them a huge advantage, also gives the Premier League a a huge advantage um, in terms of really monopolizing this time of the year where people do have a lot more time to watch games because, I mean, they're off work or they're spending time with their families. Um, There's disadvantages to this, of course, for the national team and to the players, but uh, from an entertainment perspective and from a TV perspective uh to me it's 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 really perfect time so what about you kartik anything else that you watched um that you want to mention uh, and anything that's maybe non premier league related
0: um yeah i mean i suppose uh, obviously the espn fc show up running right through um Right through this festive period And they've done a, a, a fantastic job And they've kept uh, a, a lot of attention On uh, some of the other Non-Premier League topics But it's been mostly Premier League As, as, as you would expect uh, I thought uh, uh, Derek Ray and Rob Ural Did well in, in the two days uh, In the studio that they had to uh, Fly solo, the two of them uh, And uh, one of the days they had a one-hour goal zone And uh, were able to get enough content And do something that was I thought kind of interesting And I haven't seen on NBC before with the additional time they had, and down upon it, they went ahead and played a little game of sixty seconds, previewing the next set of fixtures, uh, where Derek Ray would throw a Robbie Earl a question. He had sixty seconds to answer it about an upcoming fixture. So, uh, a little bit of a Premier League preview there, which we don't get often from NBC Sports. So that was uh, um, an interesting uh, of takeaway. I think also, uh, I uh, I wanted to mention uh, before. Uh, the Bundesliga break or the German football break, uh, Adrian Healy and Craig Burley on uh, the ESPN2 broadcast of Bayern and Borussia Dortmund uh, from uh, the German Cup was a very, very good, tight broadcast uh, by ESPN uh, and uh, thought they did uh, quite well on it. And uh, it's interesting, it seems ESPN has this, uh, this German Cup in reserve as a... Um, as a throwaway property they put on ESPN3. Then every season, at some point, Bayern comes up against Borussia Dortmund and they move it to the regular network. Uh, because I think this is five, four or five straight years they've ended up playing in the German Cup, which is yeah. ironic and makes you wonder if the draw is a little bit fixed because those are the two highest profile uh, clubs in German football, uh, no doubt about that. And uh, they get an extra round of international attention on German football if those two play in the Cup. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it's funny because it always seems that the Real Madrid and uh, Borussia Dortmund always match up in the Champions League almost every year. Oh, yeah, that's another one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's just a coincidence. But all right, let's move on, Karthik. We're what, 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 um, we looking at TV streaming news and,
0: and what's the first uh, topic? Uh- well, I guess the the first thing uh, of interest to our listeners is speaking of uh, what I just talked about, the, the uh, Arsenal Chelsea game has been moved, at least the first leg uh, of the League Cup semifinals. Remember, it's over two legs on January tenth has been moved uh, to be shown live on ESPN two in the United States, which is something that I think. Many of our listeners and uh, fans of the Premier League have been asking about seemingly endlessly for the last uh, six months since uh, BAM Tech and uh, ESPN3 acquired the rights to the championship and the League Cup.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and right as of press time right now, uh, Manchester City against Bristol City, the other semifinal will be on ESPN3. But um, it, it's still possible it could be moved, but definitely the Arsenal, well, Chelsea-Arsenal game on Wednesday, January 10th, will be moved uh, to ESPN2. So moving on to other news, uh, this past year, 2017, Univision Deportes earned the highest share of soccer viewing in the United States among 29 networks broadcasting live soccer, claiming over 40% of all viewing across all of the networks of Univision. Plus, Univision Deportes led the industry by broadcasting 19 out of the top 20 uh, rated uh, club soccer matches in 2017, regardless of language. And it just goes to show, really, most of these games would have been uh, Liga MX games and just uh, how continuous, um, uh, how uh, popular they are uh, year by year. And how, how that really helps uh, Univision and Univision Deportes in terms of um, Getting these large numbers uh, in the TV ratings war.
0: Yeah, uh, a significant clause in the Premier League's tender for bids suggests it's already uh, uh, thinking of new media in its future. And by the way, the current uh, set of television contracts outside the United States, the United States, we had a six year deal, but the three year deals all expire at the end of next season. Uh, the league said its new rights packages would be available on a quote technology neutral basis, meaning it's open to showing matches exclusively online and and widely seen as an invitation to digital giants to enter the fray. This was in the Financial Times, by the way.
1: Yeah, so this is a, this is a big one because this is this means that uh, it's opening the doors for companies such as Amazon or Facebook or. Or YouTube, or whoever. There's many out, out of them out there that where they could actually acquire the rights to the Premier League um, in the UK, perhaps at first, um, and have it available through streaming only, and and th- and that would be perfectly, um, uh, oh no, I was just kidding, legal, but but it would be a, a, it would work. In the past, the deals would have been that you would have had to have a TV as a TV company, you'd have to have a, a TV. The, the game's on the television, and you could have it on streaming too. But this opens the door for a streaming company, say, okay, we're acquiring the rights to all the Premier League and we're just going to show it on, say, Amazon Prime as one example. Whether or not this will happen, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but just show in terms of how the industry is changing and how we could be seeing you know, in the next maybe maybe two or three years, perhaps, in the UK, uh, of course, Sky Sports and BT Sports, will be wanting to keep those on, on television but uh, it's opening the door and it's going to happen at some point but.
0: and I think that this is also something that's going to continue to threaten the traditional 3pm three, 3 kickoffs uh, times that we have for games in England and, and so fans in the UK themselves may not be very happy about this although it may give them more exposure to games on um, media uh, via the media because as uh, many of our listeners know you can't watch any of those games live and you're waiting for match of the day to come on later in the day to, to actually see any clips from them.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, the, the blackout in the UK is um, their local time from two forty-five to five fifteen. There's no matches available on television at all um, or streaming, and and those would include matches from La Liga or any any other leagues uh, in the, around the world. So um, yeah, correct, correct, right. See what happens there. All right, Kartik, moving on. SportsTVRatings.com has published the most updated number of subscribers for the leading sports networks in the United States that broadcast soccer. And uh, we're not going to go through every single one of them, but uh, there are some enlightening numbers. So here are the networks with the most viewers from most to least. Number one, which is actually, to me, very surprising, Kartik, TNT, 90 million viewers. So this one, I mean, TNT is, is a new one to, well, recent, uh, recently the club soccer space. Starting in the 2018 uh, summer, uh, they will be broadcasting the Champions League uh, to us in the United States. We know that uh, it's not going to be every single game. Uh, there's going to be only select games available through TNT. But 90 million, which is greater than any other sports network in the United States, Kartik.
0: Yeah, I'm not that surprised by that There's a lot on TNT that isn't sports It's a, it's a general variety channel uh, Obviously their sports anchor for years Has been the NBA uh, More recently have acquired some of the NCAA basketball tournament Now uh, the UEFA Champions League They um, they cater to kind of general audiences And I think it's one of the, the basic cable ch- packages Even if you go to a, a hotel And you've got 10 channels on your TV You get TNT So it doesn't surprise me that much But it is significant in that there are actually more subscribers than any ESPN or NBC or Fox channel that specializes in sports. So,
1: speaking of ESPN, ESPN's got 86 million. Uh, ESPN2 has 86 million also. And then uh, True TV, which will be another network that will show some of the Champions League games, uh, that one is going to be 86 million, which again is, is massive numbers for uh, Turner in terms of uh, broadcasting the Champions League. Then you've got NBCSN at 84 million, uh, FS1, 84 million, FS2 is 52 million, which is interesting too, because there's so many people that complain that that they don't get FS2. Uh, Univision Deportes, 44 million, uh, Universo, 41 million, uh, B in Sports, 22 million, Fox Deportes, 21 million, and then B in Sports, in Español, and that's uh, 18 million.
0: Wow, so the FS two number is not as low as you think it is, given the number of people who complain. I guess uh, most of the people who don't get it who are can't complain to us. So uh, I, I thought that number was somewhere 30, 30 or thirty five million, honestly, based on the complaints.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and I've always joked, um, kind of heart, heart, half heartedly, that FS two is almost like the last bastion of uh, soccer coverage because those numbers on on FS two usually for whether it's Bundesliga games or you know, FA Cup games or
0: Sometimes in the tens of thousands, just small well, numbers. Well, I found actually from talking to folks that uh, the ratings in general for for anything on FS2 are very poor, including college basketball. And the and few times that's why they try and avoid showing any college football on FS2. That it's even if people have the channel, they may not realize they have the channel. Uh, which uh, shows itself in the, in the numbers. Uh, because if you consider it's in 52 million homes and FS1's in 84 million homes, that's in about 65% of the homes that uh, FS1 is in. But yet the, the the ratings drop-offs for any given event is more than it's not 65% of one. If the FS1 rating is a one, it's not 0.65 for FS2. It tends to be like somewhere in the neighborhood of 0.3. Um so it's, it's just a, kind of the purgatory for soccer coverage <laughs> and everything. Absolutely. All right, Karthik, one more item in the, the news before we move on. Yeah, one of Telemundo's most important TV shows finished 2017 with its highest-rated season ever. Uh, and it's the second consecutive year. It ranks as the number one sports news and commentary show in Spanish-language TV among adults from the ages of 18 to 49. Uh, Telemundo's nightly sports entertainment show, Titelas y Mas, uh, Outperformed uh, Univision's Contacto Deportivo, which is a show I'll uh, I'll say I was on <laughs> once eight years ago uh, before the Confederations Cup final, two thousand nine, among adults eighteen to forty nine and total viewers. Uh, the show will continue to be a big part of Telemundo's programming in twenty eighteen, including around the World Cup games this summer. Um, I'm quite stunned by this. This is great for Telemundo. Contacto Deportivo has been the gold standard uh, in terms of Spanish language news, um, sports news coverage for many years, uh, much like SportsCenter is in English. So um, congratulations for Telemundo. Karthik, wait a second. You were on Contacto Deportivo. I didn't know this. What, what, What was this all about? This was uh, before the Confederations Cup final in 2000. Oh, you know what? I was not. I was on another Univision show the same day. That's
1: right. Okay. Wow. Wow, that's still impressive. But, but it, it, for, for the Strikers or for... Yeah, it was Miami FC in those
0: days. But yeah. okay. All right. Okay.
1: All
0: right. But yeah, on. it was the Strikers. I think that became the Strikers, not the current Miami FC. That's too much confusion for people. But uh, so, yeah, we'll say it was for the Strikers.
1: Okay. Okay, Kartik, let's move on to TV ratings. So uh, in terms of the last month, we're not going to go through every number. Uh, we have the TV ratings posted at worldsoccertalk.com. That go into a lot more exhaustive detail. But some of the numbers that do jump out, um, uh, NBC Sports, We, speaking of which, um, for the past six weeks have had a million viewers or more for um, Premier League games. So just a couple of the numbers that do jump out. They had 1.1 million for the Leicester Man United match on NBC, which was on Saturday, uh, December 23rd. Uh, that was on NBC and Telemundo. They just had just over a million for Man United against Southampton. That was on uh, December 30th. That was on NBC and Universo. There's definitely a um, kind of a a, a, kind of a trail here, which is Manchester United. Manchester United uh, is the most supported club among uh, English speaking fans in the United States and whenever the Man United are doing well or fighting for a Champions League spot uh, those numbers do reflect that and NBC definitely uh, um, kind of benefits from that some of the other numbers that do jump out Karthik, um, of course La, uh, El Clasico which was uh, Real Madrid-Barcelona on BN Sports and BN in Sports in Espanol. That was on uh, December 22nd. This this one had an early kickoff time. Uh, it was really set for Asia, so it would be primetime Asia. Uh, but it was 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eastern time and had uh, 845,000 viewers. Would, wow. Any? Uh, what's
0: he th- thinking about that one, too, Carter? Yeah, know. that's a remarkable number given the start time. There are people who slept through the game. I know there are people that slept through the game that I've spoken to that said, "Oh my goodness, that was this morning, right? I thought it was this afternoon." Right. Uh, because we're used to having Classico, El Clasico um, now. Remember once recently was during a time uh, time period where they couldn't show it live in the UK uh, because it fell into that uh, two forty five to five fifteen slot. But generally, it's been kicked off at um, late night uh, or prime time, Spanish time, Central European time, which has then um, translated to the afternoon in the United States.
1: Yeah, and the next one, the, the return fixture, so the Barcelona-Real Madrid game, I think is in March, I think it is, but it will be in, uh, in the afternoon at US time, so a lot more favorable for uh, us and NBA sports in the US. So, moving on, Kartik, uh, Listener the mailbag. We got a ton of uh, correspondence uh, over the past month. Uh, the first one is from Ray Tavares, and he sent this in through email. He says, Have you all seen the midweek Premier League games on Universo? They do a picture in picture to show the goals from the other games, kind of like the NBC Sports uh, goal zone. And, and, Ray, I haven't seen that. Uh, I think it's a great idea, especially for when there are a ton of matches on. Um, but I'm gonna have to check that out. That sounds pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I, I maybe uh, check that out as soon as uh, well, whenever our next midweek uh, fixture date is, which I think is in uh, uh, maybe in mid July, uh, mid January.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. We got the FA Cup coming up. Uh, there's, uh, this is kind of the crazy time of the year, anyway. So there's probably going to be a lot of uh, midweek matches as uh, as the Premier League tries to catch up on, on missing some of these uh, dates from from the FA Cup, etc. Um, so next up is Robert Nanali, and he sent this in through email. Uh, It's a long one, but it's a good one. It says, uh, there's been a lot of discussion recently about how to uh, make Major League Soccer more popular and accepted in America. One of the issues I personally came across when attempting to watch the league this season was accessibility. Prior to the start of the season, I made the conscious decision to flip a coin between the new expansion franchises and follow them. I live in Buffalo, New York, so I did not have a local team to support at the top level. By the luck of the coin, I became an Atlanta United fan. Here you go, let's let's watch American soccer and support an American team. I've watched the Premier League for years since it was on Fox and have really become a fan of the league as a whole. I truly believe that the biggest reason for this is that the league is centrally located on one network and you always know where to go to find it. That is a problem I ran into immediately upon the start of the season for Major League Soccer. I'm a cord cutter, so I'm already more familiar and more comfortable uh, than the average consumer searching for my content. I quickly found out that the Major League Soccer television contract is so fragmented and broken that it's an extremely limited it, 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 it extremely limited my ability to watch the team I want to support. Soccer is a sport that is being influenced into America from the outside. And for an American league to succeed at the same level, they need to be presented in the same way. I don't think pro-rel is necessary in America. And I feel even if we did have pro-rel here, there would be an easy enough way to build financial protections into the system to allow second-tier teams to be stable. Major League Soccer needs to locate a single, dedicated partner for its next television contract and make a one-stop network or app to access all of the games conveniently, as well as quality analysis and discussion of the teams, players, and coaches. Major League Soccer cannot operate its television contracts like the NBA and NHL do on regional networks, and ever expect to expand its audience when the shining example of the sport in this country got to where it based on convenience of access. What do you think, Kartik?
0: Yeah, I tend to agree. I, I think that that's a very succinct analysis and uh, something that the planners in, in MLSHQ HQ and at Soccer United Marketing should probably understand and appreciate.
1: All right, next one is Mr. G, and he sent in this tweet. He says, uh, number one, Pro Rail would expand the footprint of interest because it would draw in fans from lower division clubs watching to see who may be in line to drop and vice versa, MLS fans watching lower division soccer. Uh, that's presuming D, D2, D3 gets improved TV deals in the process. Number two, it forces accountability at the bottom of, of, of the Major League Soccer table and therefore more interesting games at the end of the season. And then number three, it would help Major League Soccer stand out among the pack of major U.S. leagues. I firmly believe that to step beyond niche, it can't run like the other leagues here. So we're seeing a bit of a um, kind of a consistency in terms of some of the opinions in terms of uh, that uh, Major League Soccer is thinking a lot like the NFL. And um, in order for it to succeed in the United States, it can't try to mirror those leagues. It needs to look at... uh, Soccer leagues from around the world and try to um, focus on those, what, what they do rather than in what, say, the NBA or NHL or NFL does.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that there's uh, there's room for, for both. I mean, I, I, I would uh, be against the uh, MLS mimicking the English system. I think the English system has allowed uh, wealth to flow to the elites and uh, speculators to flip clubs and offshore banks to really control the league in a way that hasn't happened in Germany, for instance, or hasn't happened in uh, in, in France yet. Uh obviously there's some, I think some problems with competitiveness and that sort of thing everywhere. So I think there are some, um, elements from American sports you should take into account, uh, luxury taxes, salary caps, whatever, something like that, um, to maintain competitiveness. But I do also think that, uh, without Pharrell, you just, you you, you haven't, there's no incentive really to develop players. There's no incentive for lower division investors to invest in clubs. There's no incentive for fans of lower division teams to maintain interest in the entire pyramid. I've noticed most of the people I talked to who are NASL fans or USL fans or do not follow MLS and vice versa. So it's a, it's a fragmented uh, situation that I think, I think you have to have promotion and relegation. I am not someone who says, and I get into arguments with the pro-rel brigade on Twitter all the time in this regard, I'm not someone who says it has to be exactly like Europe, and I am someone who will say very strongly, I don't want to sound like David Kahn here, but we should not repeat the post 1992 English system. I think that then uh, you just have right now wealth has been consolidated in the hands of a few elites at soccer, United marketing and uh, greedy MLS owners or some, you know uh, some greedy MLS owners. I don't think all of them. I think uh, some of them have genuinely invested very generously in the sport. Uh, I see the same things happen in England, just in a different way. I, I'm concerned about the the, the the distance between the top six and the rest of the league. Uh, as we saw last year, it was a top seven. This season, it appears it might be a top six or seven and uh, 15, 20, 20 drop or something with the rest of the league. I don't want that in the United States in the top flight. So, uh, And I blame the free-for-all just to kind of um, completely open system without any kind of moral code uh, and willingness of the FA to enable pre- the Premier League uh, for that. So um, I'm not I'm not necessarily someone who says we have to do it like we do in Europe, but we do have to have pro row.
1: Yeah, Mr. G's point about uh, making the, the leagues in the United States, the soccer leagues in the United States, uh, more inclusive would... I, w- I would think make it more likely that NASL and USL fans would uh, probably be more likely to watch Major League Soccer, correct? And, yes. and vice versa. You mean at least there's a uh, there's a dog in, in in the race, so that you would kind of watch some of the leagues, lower leagues, and see okay, well, who's coming up? You mean, and who's and and like likewise, vice versa, uh, watching Major League Soccer to see okay, who who might go down. Um, right now it is very, you know, it's, it's, you mean, you, like you said, USL fans don't necessarily watch major Major league soccer and so on and so forth. Michael Subasic, uh, through email sent, uh, this one in, he says, I get it. You believe that promotion and relegation makes a league more interesting. And you think that major league soccer in America should adopt exactly the same system they use in Europe. At least it seems like that is the proposition you keep advocating for. And, and that, I think that's aimed at me personally, uh, not you, Kartik. But he says, uh, "I sense no nuance or appreciation of for how the North American system works and the excitement it creates for many of its fans." The major leagues have thirty or so franchises. Uh, NCAA football has over one hundred and twenty. And the fans see no need to create a rigid class system to divide the top 20 from the rest. You have to understand that not making the playoffs is like getting relegated for the most important part of the season. It just isn't the death sentence that that relegation is in Europe. But perhaps there are problems with the way the system works in Europe. Relegated teams like my favorite, Leeds United, suffer for very long periods in obscurity. Perhaps we would be doing the world a favor by coming up with a system that has some elements of promotion relegation while also keeping more than 20 teams in the same league. Maybe teams can be members of a local regional conference while also being a member of a tier of teams in 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 the league that are scheduled to play against each other. Maybe a season can be broken up into two seasons per year. And a second division team can theoretically earn promotion in the first half of the season and get into the playoffs and win the league in the second half. But I think you would get a lot more sympathy for for the ProRail project if you pitched it as an opportunity to take the best of both systems and make one that is an important. Uh, There's an improvement on what exists in Europe by selling people on the idea that there uh, could be something better and unique that can, could combine the level playing field and dynamic Uh, Dynamism of the North American system and sense of threat accomplishment from late season games that determine the the team's tier in the next season in a pro-real system. Uh, next up is Bill Payne, and he emailed us. He says, A fairly new listener to your show, and glad I've started tuning in. Very interesting discussion about Major League Soccer TV ratings what the, and what they can do to improve. Unfortunately, even though I'm an avid soccer fan, um, I have to agree with Kartik that in the U.S., uh, soccer is still a niche sport, as far as TV viewership is concerned. I wanted to disprove Kartik, but so I started to do a brief Google search of attendance of sports. I did not consider; I, I did consider a niche, such as the X Games and figure skating. Completely by random, I came across a table from a weekend in January 2016. I was a bit surprised and disappointed to find figure skating pretty high on the list, while Bundesliga was literally at the bottom. Even though we have a massive number of kids participating in soccer and have for some time now, this has not translated over to viewers as rapidly as we might have expected. Maybe we should take solace in the fact that viewership is more or less steady, possibly rising slightly. However, I do believe Major League Soccer and some is doing a poor job of figuring out how to appeal to the soccer fans. NBA learned it has to focus on its star players. Major League Baseball realized local TV deals was the way for them. NASCAR had it figured out for a while by promoting the competitiveness and good old boy persona uh, persona, and is trying to recapture it with goofy playoff systems and public conflict between drivers. NHL is just trying to keep their core happy, which means fighting, (laughs) but not too much fighting. NFL is just a behemoth and is, is just desperately trying to stay out of its own way which is struggling to do at the moment. Major League Soccer, in some, hasn't figured it out yet. I do think they were onto something with bringing more US men's national team players back and promoting them. But the surprising results of this year have stabbed that plan right in the heart. I would suggest they do something of uh, some of the things that have worked well for the NFL, which is consistent time slots, some sort of uh, NFL red zone type program, and then really push fantasy soccer leagues. Uh, what are your
0: thoughts on this one? Yeah, I generally agree. I agree with a lot of uh, of what's been said in the last two uh, uh, sets of comments, both uh, uh, both from uh, Bill uh, and from uh, from Michael. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, they're doing a really poor job. Uh, MLS, and this is the thing: there's an inconsistency, I think, in how MLS and some have have viewed promotion of the sport and their league in this country, because there is no tried and tested, tr- tried tested and proven way to hook uh, potential viewers. And I think the other thing we're finding with the soccer um, fan audience is that if you try and hook one set of the fo- soccer fandom, you alienate a completely different set of the soccer fandom.
1: Yeah, yeah. To, to me, Major League Soccer has a, a identity problem for, for the, from, the, from the TV ratings perspective because. Who is it going after? If it goes after the hardcore soccer fans, most of us are disinterested uh, because you mean the, the, most of the league season is is meaningless until it comes to the playoffs. Unless you have a local team, if you have a local team to support, then that makes a big difference. But the country's so large that you can't have you mean t- teams, local teams throughout the, the entire country. So then, do you go after kind of more the mainstream sports fan? Um, and that hasn't worked either. So it, I, I guess they have to try and figure out what they want to. Be and uh, how to portray themselves on television and um, and take it from there. Uh, Next up is uh, Toby Schumacher, and he sent in this tweet. He says, I've used another Lee Dixon line. So this is going back to podcasts, probably the last one or or maybe a couple ago, uh, where we talked about how Lee Dixon has these pearls of wisdom when he's uh, uh, commentating or co-commentating, where he'll give an example of something uh, in a game tactically that uh, we... Soccer dads and soccer moms, uh, and players and coaches can benefit from. And he, uh, so Toby says, I've used another Lee Dixon line about moving forward that I think he used last year with my team. Paraphrasing, moving forward into space gives insight about your opponent, but also gives insight about your teammates. And to me, that's like poetry because (laughs) as a soccer dad with kids that play soccer and I'm I'm watching games every weekend and even going to practices, um, that says a lot. I mean, he really is uh, out of this world in terms of uh, co-commentating. Not only is he smart and can read the game so well, but um, he's funny. He's entertaining. And uh, I really enjoy uh, Lee Dixon. I think uh, at the beginning, it was a, f- a fast race between Lee Dixon and Graham Lasso. They were neck and neck. But to me, in, in terms of this marathon, uh, Lee Dixon is so far ahead of, of Graham. And, and Graham's really good, too. Lastly, Kartik, this is the last one uh, in the mailbag. We had a lot this week, as, as I mentioned. Scott from McAllen, Texas, emailed us this question. He says, just wondering if you guys knew how this whole net neutrality thing, got the Axe, will affect streaming and cord cutters in the next months. Um, I don't I don't know exactly. I, I'll give a couple of my thoughts. I think it's going to take some time to figure out exactly how this is going to impact things. We'll, it probably will take more than a couple of months uh, before we know. But what it appears to be is that the ISP, so, so say the Comcast of the world, uh, could end up charging you more uh, for your internet service based on the types of um, streaming sites that you go to. So for example, Netflix, they could charge you more uh, for streaming Netflix than they do currently. Now, currently, they would just give you a you know, I don't know, $50 a month rate for all of your internet and you can use that for whatever you want it to use it for. But with the net neutrality rule, um, they could actually charge you more for streaming Netflix, vice versa. They could charge you more for streaming Sling TV or, or something like, like that or, or YouTube. Um, it puts a lot more power and control and money-making opportunities in the hands of the ISPs. Uh, and it's, it's, it's bad news. So we'll have to wait and see exactly how this plays out. But, um, Good question there. So, listeners, if you do have any questions, feedback, comments, you name it, uh, let us know. We'd love to read them out on there. Uh, you can send us an email to web at worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, you can tweet us at wsoccertalk or reach us at facebook.com slash talk. All right, Karthik, let's move on to our last segment of the show, and this is our featured topic of the week. And this one is an interesting one because um, we talk about these things from time and uh, time and time again, we don't go into a lot of detail, but what we want to talk about is what we do and don't like about a soccer telecast. So obviously this is kind of based on our opinions and and listeners, you may have different opinions too, and you might have other things, but what do you love about broadcasts and what don't you like? So I will um, start off with a couple and um, feel free to join in, Kartik. Some of the things... I don't like. <laughs> One is a rules expert. And um, we saw that with Mark Klattenberg, and that was, it was a nice kind of breath of fresh air where he came in and talked about some uh, controversial calls and gave his opinion. But to me, a rules expert really should be more so the, the, the commentator or the co-commentator. That person, or, or even the, the studio analyst, that person should have um, uh, should be updated on, on, on all the the rule changes and should be able to uh, intelligently explain why a certain call uh, was a foul or shouldn't have been a foul. And to me, kind of the Dr. Joe, I, I'm not a big fan of the Dr. Joe uh, person or, or kind of that or that role of having a rules expert in a TV broadcast because oftentimes uh, Fox has done this during Gold Cup and I think Copa America. They'll go to him and ask his opinion and sometimes it's like it's just wasting time it's just like why are you going to this guy when it's something that's pretty obvious for the rest of us we know it's I mean it should have been a penalty and it wasn't um I I guess from time to time it could be helpful but on those rare occasions where it's a really really controversial decision where it's like you mean it's you need someone of of that level but 99 percent of the time you don't Anyway, that, that that's my opinion about that one. What about you, Kartik? What are some of the things you, you do you like about
0: broadcasts and 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 don't? Well, the rules expert, I think, is is important. If you have, I like what NBC did getting Clattenburg, um, in to kind of give a refereeing perspective on on things. Now, um, a rules expert, I think, chiming in on. Just various calls like Dr. Joe. I think Dr. Joe's on on air presence has gotten much better uh, in the two years he's been doing this, two years or so, not maybe three years. He's been doing this for Fox, but it still seems at many times to be kind of forced and unnecessary. It's a conversation that can be had in a much simpler way or not had at all. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not big on, on the rules experts. I'd like to see more tactical um breakdowns you mentioned Premier League Productions does it I, I need to check that out uh, I like uh, what you see on UMaX uh, football uh, and and other various uh, YouTube type channels that give you will take six or seven minutes to break down um, the way Diego Simeone sets up at Madrid or, 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 or um, a, a seven minute uh, 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 uh Uh, lesson on the way Mauricio Pochettino uh, has a high pressing for for Tottenham and you learn a lot from these uh, very kind of graphical and interactive features that I don't think we see enough of during uh, soccer broadcasts.
1: Yeah 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 I agree there. Um, One of the things that uh, I I don't like either is uh, cutting off commentators. So whether it's an FA Cup final or whether it's a Premier League match or, I mean, any, any any soccer game, really. And it's entertaining. You've been listening to whoever the commentators are. And the final whistle goes and it's like, OK, great. I want to hear just um, maybe a minute or two of analysis or post-match thoughts. And mid-sentence, bloop, OK, the cutoff. And it goes straight to back to the studio and back to commercial, I'm like, oh my gosh, come on, at least give me a chance to hear the commentators kind of just uh, sum up the game or uh, share some of the, a few minutes on the pitch after the final whistle so we can see what's happening, what's the, the reaction between the players uh, from the, the, oppo- the, the opposing teams, uh, the managers, what are they doing, the fans. Um, just a pet peeve of mine in terms of uh, watching soccer is, is when they cut off the commentators.
0: Yeah, and, and I think another pet peeve of mine would be uh, when there is no proper post-game show for um, a soccer match. Now we've seen in the... Um, in the course of the Premier League season this year, uh, the beginning of the season, I was complaining that NBC was cutting out at the end of matches pretty quickly. Now, we saw during the festive period uh, that mom almost having too much airtime. Uh, There'll be one match on a midweek game uh, like yesterday, for instance. Well, yesterday, I think they, they did goals on only until 5.30, but there was one one time recently they've done goals on till 6, uh, Eastern time, when they had one match uh, and it ended at 4.45. So, maybe too much time. I prefer that, obviously, to my my complaint about Fox more than anyone else is that there'll be a game and they cut out and there's no post-match analysis and they go on to whatever uh, their other American sports-oriented programming is. Um, I think uh, BN Sports does a very good job of integrating pre-game and post-game shows yeah. into their kind of its bumper programs for their entire match uh, coverage. My other complaint would be right now that I don't see enough original programming about the culture of soccer being created uh, by the networks in the U.S. The obvious exception is what we talked about earlier in the show, the Joe Scarborough program, This Is Football, on NBCSN. But with that exception, there isn't enough of that being uh, discussed and developed to complement uh, game coverage.
1: That's a good point, Conti. It's because, I mean, I, like, This Is Football, I mean, that's really focusing on the culture in the U.K., I mean it has some scenes where you have some fans in some of the pubs in in New York um but for the most part it's 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 there. I'd love to see that too. I mean I'd love to see somebody one of these networks capturing the passion and culture of soccer fans in the United States. So whether it's in Orlando, or Cincinnati or Atlanta or even Seattle, I mean you go across the nation, there's a thriving soccer culture in this country. Uh, which goes back to my, my my thinking which is that soccer is not a niche sport but, but anyway but it, that's something I don't see and I, and I don't feel and I, I know it's happening. But I don't see anyone capturing that. And I, I'd love to
0: see that. Yeah, and I'd love to see some more programs uh, which capture the essence of football in Europe and Latin America and how it's different than American sporting culture. Uh, and, and, and kind of just go from that angle so that people can kind of appreciate and understand the, new, the nuances and the differences between sports in Europe, sports in Latin America and sports in North America.
1: So speaking of that, Kartik. so one of the things I do like uh, in when watching a soccer telecast is a telecast that captures the atmosphere. So whether that's uh, the tunnels, kind of being in the tunnels, which ESPN uh, for the coverage of the, of the Premier League, I well, gosh, this is going back a long time ago now. It's almost almost 10 years ago. Um, they started that in terms of having the cameras in the tunnels, seeing what's happening before the game kicks off. But not just that, though, too. Just uh, overhead cams uh, outside the stadium, uh, seeing I mean, fans kind of streaming into the stadium, uh, outside the, grand, the ground shots, and any coverage that really pulls us into that experience that makes us feel that we're there. Or if we're not there it makes us feel like we, we can see what's going on and we can anticipate what it must feel like to be at that stadium. And that's something that uh, I just love to see when it's done well. Um, and, and oftentimes it isn't, but we do see it from time to time. But that does make a huge difference in terms of improving uh, and enhancing that uh, soccer telecast. And Kartika, anything else? Anything else you can think of as far as things you do like or, or don't like in your uh, broadcasts? <coughs>
0: Oh, I like a lot of whats in the podcast. I mean we've talked we talked extensively about how much we like NBC's coverage and ESPN's coverage and, and uh, some of the graphics, the analysis, uh, the, the more and more the use of on-site commentators, those sorts of things. Uh, and Fox has made some improvements as well as a, a PN uh, and all the Spanish language channels. but uh, the, the things that I don't like and would like to see improvement, I think I've, I've laid out already.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah it's just a few things i want to run through too as far as my, my list i have um you mentioned commentators at the stadium that makes a big difference um but other thing actually kind of a, a benefit of having a commentator at a stadium and one of the reasons that i do enjoy it and, and again john champion does a great job at this is really telling us what's happening off camera and oftentimes you, you can kind of tell when um, you have commentators that are Broadcasting the game from, you mean, a studio in Los Angeles or a studio in you know, wherever it's in, in Bristol, Connecticut, and they're they're watching the game on the same TV set, so same TV uh, stream that you are. But when you have someone at the stadium who's telling you what's happening in the crowd, or is giving you a sense of the atmosphere in the stadium, or if it's I mean, getting quieter or getting noisier, and and, and just um, you mean players warming up, or what's happening kind of um, at the bench, or if there's a you mean, You something happened in the tunnel, those types of things. That really does help in terms of um, those uh, commentators being there. Speaking of being there, one of the things that I, I hate, Kartik, and uh, you may disagree with me on this one, but I see no benefit whatsoever of having sideline reporters. Um, yes, it's nice to have somebody on the sideline, but I, I don't think I've ever, in my experience of watching thousands of soccer matches, ever had... And anything I've learned from a sideline reporter being able to tell me something about what's happening uh, down there—that—that's, I mean, enhanced my viewing experience of that game. It, i think it just, to me, it just seems like a complete waste.
0: Injury news, uh, maybe is the only thing. But yeah, I, I tend to agree. I—I I, I don't know why that trend in American sports became so prevalent of the sideline reporter. It, It's—it's a—it's a bizarre thing to me. I think because there's so much dead time in those sports, which you don't have in soccer. So speaking of dead
1: time, uh, one of the things I hate, Kartik, is um, in a game where you're watching it and it's like, okay, this is a boring game. I mean, yes, I'm watching it. Yes, I'm interested to see what happens in this match. Um, And then post-match, I mean, the studio team comes back and says, this was a really really exciting game. Wasn't it fantastic? And I'm like, come on. Anyone who can see this game, you need objectivity. If the game's a dud, Call it a dud. You I mean, just call it what it is. I mean, the viewers can see through that. So, so don't try to justify. you mean, the reason that, that this broadcaster showed this
0: game and say how wonderful it was when it yeah. was not I, I think I go, we go to back to the first game of the Premier League season this year. The Liverpool, the uh, Arsenal Leicester game, which was a four three game, where NBC, you know, just raved about the Premier League is back or oh, what a what a great spectacle. You turn the channel. Right after Goal Zone was over that day, by the way, that Friday where the season kicked off, the ESPN FC, and you had Shaka Hislop Craig Bur- and Craig Burley, two former Premier League players, uh, talking about how poor the standard of football was in England based on this game. So, Because they're not a rights holder, so maybe maybe you could argue they felt like they needed to be more critical, and they already have something about Arsenal on that show that we've talked about before. But, um, yeah, to me, that was a clear... Um, a clear example of that where NBC was talking about, you know, all these flowery things, Rebecca Lowe was saying, oh, the Premier League is back. What, what entertainment chaps and, and uh, Musto and Earl and Martino, whoever was on that day saying the same thing and then flipping to the other channel and they're saying the exact opposite. Oh, this shows how dire the standard of football is in England. Look at how bad the defending is. Mm-hmm. Um So I think that there's probably the truth is somewhere in between. Um, It's possible that non-rights holders for leagues are more critical of leagues they don't have um – the coverage of right, they don't have the rights to. Then people who then they would be otherwise. Uh, that's possible also. I'm I'm accounting for that possibility. I, I think it's certainly uh, something that's that's out there. There's there's no question about it in my mind. And I don't blame the broadcaster or the person on air for it, Chris, because they get drilled certain things in production meetings. Right? They get drilled certain things. They're in a bubble. Everybody who broadcasts the sport is to a, is in a bubble to a certain extent. Right? And um, if you're watching the Premier League 80% of the time and you're, and you're only watching La Liga MLS and the Bundesliga and Liga Mekis the other 20% of the time, maybe you have a skewed impression of how good the Premier League is and vice versa. If you're watching the Bundesliga 80% of the time, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the Fox commentators, and I even see them on Twitter, talking about how great the Bundesliga is, how it's the best league in the world, and most competitive league in the world, blah, blah, blah. You could argue it is. I've argued it is at times. But you could also say maybe it's the fifth best league in Europe. So I think um, there's a lot of subject, subjectivity based on what network has the rights to which leagues. Good point. Uh, another thing
1: I'm not a big fan of is broadcasts that are very predictable. So, for example, we're, we're going into an FA Cup weekend, uh, one that I'm not looking forward to watching, Kartik, because I think that practically every single Premier League team is going to field a B team. I I don't, yeah. I,
0: I don't see, and a any, lot of Championship teams also. By yeah, the way,
1: I, I don't see any of these teams having any incentive to go ahead and play the, fir- the first teams when there's so much on the line in, in league and, and other competitions. But, but with the FA Cup, I can predict to you, Kartik, what's going to happen. Um, On Friday, it's Everton against Liverpool. It's on FS1. The first 30 seconds to 60 seconds of this Fox broadcast, they will have a montage. It'll open up, okay, FA Cup weekend. And then they'll have like a a two to three minute video with somebody with a deep voice, like, FA cup is back you mean like this is um david against goliath i mean it's the same thing every single year every single round it's like oh my gosh come on like come up with something original come up with something different don't be so predictable and that's not just fox either we've seen it from nbc sports in the past too where they kind of got in a rut where you could almost uh predict what what the two Robbies would be saying and Kyle would be the guy that probably would tell you things a little bit differently or give you a different viewpoint or um, and losing him for, uh, for this uh, presidential race has, has definitely been a hit um, uh, has hurt uh, NBC Sports but they've been able to bring in some other people to kind of mix things up but going back it's just I do not like predictable broadcasts I, d- I like to see original ideas, new thoughts, different things, something that's going to mix things up and um, We've seen that. I mean, for years with UEFA uh, Champions League coverage on Fox, we know almost by, by the minute exactly what's going to happen. When they do mix things up, it's good. It's it's it kinda, it's a breath of fresh air. Yeah, that
0: one weekend, one week. Of course, they're, they're midweek games. Uh, the week they had Jovan Karowski in the studio instead of whoever he was replacing I thought it was really good it was a different perspective it was a completely different uh, point of view and it was a guy who had played in a lot of Champions League games, which they generally don't have at the network mm-hmm. or at least had been on the squad for t- teams that had played in a lot of Champions League games I actually think he's played in a number of Champions League games yeah uh, in, in his career yeah
1: yeah he, yeah he has um, I mean going on that in terms of talent I mean to me hiring talent that adds value. It makes you think beyond barroom conversations. is is something I always like 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 to have. So whether it's say Roberto Martinez or whether it's uh, Owen Hargreaves or it's uh, Mark Clattenburg or or others, where you have some talent that that comes in and really focuses on a particular aspect of the game and something you hadn't (laughs) thought of, and it's something it's or
0: someone who is really reporting and isn't isn't very conventional uh, in, in in their reporting so NBC brings Neil Ashton on a couple weeks ago. The Amanda Staveley takeover, it's imminent, right? Is what we're being told in the other newspapers. Ashton comes over and comes out and says, look, I don't think Rafa Benitez is going to be very happy. This is weeks, if not months away, not days away. Rebecca Lowe is floor. I'm thinking, my goodness, I just got something out of this program that nobody else is getting here in the States or in the UK. They all think the takeover is imminent. Uh, I hope... Uh, Newcastle United fans are aware of this. And guess what? Ashton was correct. This was, um, I think this might've been the week of December, the December 15th games or yeah, 14th 16th, games, right? right? Yeah. 16th. that he had said this and um, we're, we two weeks on two and a half weeks on now, the takeover hasn't happened. And uh, if you're a Newcastle fan or you're, you're Rafa Benitez himself, you've got to be getting kind of antsy and nervous and maybe Rafa walks. So, Um, those sorts of things are important. People say, well, why do you bring a reporter? Why do you bring a quote insider on? A lot of times they don't add value, right? They just give you, um, things that you already know, or they're breaking news that they would break somewhere else.
1: Back of the papers. It's like, here's the headlines for the
0: sun and the daily mirror. Correct. It's like, come on, you can find that online if you wanted to. But in that case, and that's not the first case in the five years he's been coming on NBC in that case, Neil Ashton broke some very, very important news, um, and, and I thought it was uh, uh, it, it was really timely. And he's been kind of on the uh, the money on managerial appointments too. On, on uh, except for the one being Swansea, where, um, he came on the air and admitted uh, he had actually had a manage uh, a, a conversation with uh, Caraval uh, the previous night about the end of his tenure at Sheffield Wednesday for a story he was putting in the paper the next day. And Swansea never came up. And then the next morning he took the Swansea job, but. Um, that I think is something that adds value to a broadcast, yeah. uh, but you have to have the right guy because ninety percent of the reporters out there are just probably just going to repeat things that are uh, on the back pages or have already been reported.
1: Yeah, yeah. Neil Ashton is is such a trustworthy news reporter and uh, does bring in some great insight. Another person I would, I would add to that list is uh, Gab McCarty. Oh
0: yeah, oh, I mean wow, somebody
1: wow. that really understands the game and gives gives some really. Really excellent opinions and and also insight in terms of uh, what's happening inside some of these clubs.
0: Marcotti's able to do both, where he can be a commentator. I think they bring him on ESPN FC a lot for analysis. I mean, he's on just about every day, but they bring him on for a lot of analysis, as well as breaking news. So he's, um, I think he's got a very unique role, a very unique niche, and also... um, Obviously, is based in Britain and it's close to Chelsea, but also is Italian, is also American. So I think he, he may be a, a bit of a one-off. Yeah, absolutely. Marcotti adds so much value to, to anything he's on. So one of the things we haven't heard in a while, but we, we
1: have heard from time to time, is it just a really intelligent discussion about a topic? And... Um, I mean, I, I think of Carlo Martino in many ways, as far as having been kind of a leader in this, uh, bringing up a, a topic that he's been thinking about all week, and they bring it up on the Saturday, Saturday morning, and then the two Robbies and him and, and Rebecca go into it in more detail. But that's something that I really appreciate, whether it's, no, no matter what, what network it is, but a really intelligent discussion about a, it could be a serious topic, but something that's is well thought out, has some really good opinions, has some really good uh, research and, and analysis, and, and isn't a manufactured debate. isn't a debate about something where you can tell that they rehearsed it beforehand and it's, it's a little bit scripted, you can tell that it's, it's fake, but this is something that's really intelligent and is really for a TV viewer, you just want to sit back and just listen and, and absorb the information and uh, you mean be, be informed. Uh, and that's something that we haven't seen in a while. At least I haven't. Um, but when it does happen, it, it is it just makes for such a great uh, soccer talent cast. Another thing, Kartik, I do not like is uh, biased analysis, and. Um, we've talked about this from um, when it's USA coverage and it seems to be extremely biased in the in the favor of, of the U.S. men's national team. But it doesn't have to be that. Sometimes it can be on a club-specific basis. But I like to see, I mean, I don't want to see favoritism. I just want to see people call it the way that they see it, to be objective, to give their insight, um, whether it's, I mean, critiquing positively or negatively, but not not being biased, just calling it the way that they see it. I mean, sometimes it's difficult when it's a controversial decision, and um, but we saw that a few weeks ago too with even Phil Neville, where he went the opposite way. I mean, a former Everton player
0: overcompensating maybe, <laughs> yeah.
1: right? Yeah, and I'm like, Phil, like, you, what's happening? Like, you're you're going the other way. Like, it's it, that was a it, it was a foul, the Wayne Rooney foul, I guess it was. Um, and he was saying, like, there was no contact at all, whatsoever. I'm like, come on, there was contact, not much, but anyway. But anyway, for, for me, I, I just like to see analysis and, um, yes, analysis that is
0: unbiased as much as That's possible. especially uh, tough with the U.S. Uh, on Fox because, they're, again, that bubble and that echo chamber has gotten so loud. I... I and I have said this and gotten a lot of criticism from the, say it again here. I think the U S missing the world cup had, there, there were several factors that contributed. I think one of the factors that absolutely contributed was the media bubble and the constant positivity coming from the media. Uh, there are exceptions. I think there are really good writers. I'll single one out Jeff Carlisle, who also comes on the ESPN FC show from time to time is a guy that at, at various points in this qualifying cycle uh, sounded the alarm that no one else wanted to hear quite frankly, uh, who covered the, the, the national team, particularly on television. So right. um, I, I think uh, uh, they, they had their own responsibility in, in the debacle. So if you're going to be a cheerleader, you're going to be a fan, at least um, at least cheerlead and be a fan in a way that uh, helps the thing you're, being, you're cheerleading for rather than actually helps carpoon it.
1: All right, two more from, from me, Karthik. Um The next one up is no bait and switching on the, the kickoff times. So yeah. th- this is a pet peeve of mine where, and a lot of people, and it's getting old. Is A lot of the, the games, whether it's for the U.S. men's national team or women's team or Major League Soccer broadcast, but they'll advertise the kickoff time, say, at 7.30 p.m. You tune at 7.30 p.m. The game doesn't kick off till 8.15 or 8.05 or whatever it is. And... Um, it's a bait and switch because you get uh, people tuning in hoping that, to watch the kickoff, and then they're sitting through twenty minutes or thirty minutes or forty-five minutes of, of pre-game coverage that they didn't want to watch.
0: Yeah, I, I'll uh, I'll give you the perspective from the other side on this, and and I tend to agree with you. But um, as someone who worked in, in a league in, in ASL, we did it all the time. would advertise the 7.30 kickoff, get people hooked on the broadcast, whether it was the local broadcast, the YouTube broadcast, whatever, uh, you stream in those days, or um, an actual television broadcast and not kick off till 7.47 and never advertised at any time, at any point, but internally had that that kickoff time to the point where I think league officials began getting upset with teams who would do that. Um, So it's very different than it is in Europe, where if a match is advertised to kick off at 3 p.m. British Standard Time, it is kicking off at 3 p.m. British Standard Time. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is absolutely a case. So I, I agree with you. It's a pet peeve of mine also, and I've lived it. And, and the deceit has been premeditated. It's not just okay. a, an accident.
1: Yeah, short term, I can see the benefits in terms of juicing up the numbers and getting more people in, in to watch the match early, so that by the time the kickoff time, that's it's the you know highest number possible. Long term, it's it's a failed plan because you're gonna just piss people off and uh, they're gonna be like, ah, forget about it. Or you know, it's just, just just it's a bait and switch. All right. Lastly, Kartik, uh, the, the last one from my uh, side is focus on the game, not on filling dead air. And uh, we can probably think of a few commentators that, that have this uh, in, uh, in their kind of uh, ammunition. But to me, it's like, I mean, oftentimes when we're watching a match, it sounds like it's a chat show, that the match is just a uh, something that's happening on the side that's not the most important thing. And you have two guys talking back and forth about what's happening. And, hey, did you hear about that that uh, story that happened uh, y- yesterday with uh, some transfer story or expansion, or or whatever it is. Meanwhile, there's a game being played in front of you. You should be commentating on the game with the players and what's happening on the pitch. Um, And I've seen this across the board. I've seen this through, I mean, one memorable one was uh, La Liga match, where there was a game, this is going back many, many years, but it was Ray Hudson and Phil Shane. And for the first four to five minutes of the game, they were talking about building up the game and talking about who's playing who, and and the match is going on. Meanwhile, I think it might've been Barcelona, Barcelona went on this, like, 34-pass run. I mean, I was counting the passes and kind of tuning out uh, the the, the commentators, just watching this marvel of how many passes they had. And they scored a goal, I think, in maybe the fourth minute or something like this. And I was like... And these guys completely missed it because they're so focused on talking about the game and what's on stake, uh, uh, what's at stake, and et cetera. And and it's not not being sports. I mean, go down the list. I mean, I think every... Broadcaster is guilty of this uh, to some extent, some some more than others. But I'm tuning in to watch a soccer game. I want to know what's happening on the pitch. Give me insight on the pitch, not what's yeah. happening off the pitch. So, Carter, do you agree with, with me on that
0: one? In the defense of the co-commentators and the commentators that are um, – In those games, they often don't get an opportunity to talk about other um, soccer-related news that relates to the the two teams playing, but maybe not directly to what's in front of their eyes at that very moment uh, during the course of the week or on the broadcast because they're not bringing – Carlo White and Lee Dixon on uh, the NBC studio to talk about uh, what's going on with the Manchester City-Watford game while they're broadcasting Liverpool versus Everton. And they want to interject something. So I think, I think it goes both ways. It's also the way you use your personnel uh, to some extent.
1: Yeah, yeah, I see that too, definitely too, because it's something that uh, if a broadcaster doesn't have like a new show or doesn't have a lot of time for kind of uh, analysis pre-match, and just goes into the game cold that sometimes that you have to kind of have, have that for some viewers that may not know the backstory. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just a pet peeve of mine in terms of what I've been watching. I mean, thousands of games and, and when it does happen, I'm like, Oh, come on, please. Um, and, and sometimes we've seen that too, where there's certain commentators that will just, again, throughout the entire match, even with a pre-match, even with kind of a, a new show, they're still just talking about other things that are happening. Um, and I think Ian Dark, to a certain extent, is guilty of this too, especially when it's um, a lull in the game and he's talking about transfers and, and gossip and things that you would read in the sun or the mirror. Um, we don't get to hear him as much anymore, but when, when he does come on, that, uh, especially if it's a Premier League game, that's, that's often, I mean that's, that's this thing that he likes. And sometimes it can be refreshing once in a while, but, but not all the time. All right, Kartik. so where can listeners find you on the internet if they want to read up on some of your latest uh, stories or, or tweets or to find out when,
0: when you'll be on different podcasts? Uh, KKFLA737 on Twitter, and then uh, find me at worldsoccertalk.com all right guys well thank you so much for listening
1: to our first episode of 2018 you can get a new episode of the world soccer talk podcast every thursday every episode is released on soundcloud youtube stitcher itunes TuneIn, Audio Boom, and worldsoccertalk.com if you like the show share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on itunes we'd greatly appreciate it In kartik what should they do enjoy your football